All right. Thanks for those WhatsApp voice notes. Mabena, I agree with you 100% on, on that point that you are raising. All right. So let me welcome now onto the show Diane Dunkley, who is the Executive Manager, Grants Administration of the South African Social Security Agency. Diane, good morning to you. Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to your listeners. Of course, we had this conversation, Diane, within a context where there have been calls in the country for either the extension of the Social Relief of Distress Grant or even perhaps for the introduction of a basic income grant. When it comes to the work that you as SASA have been doing and the impact that you have seen of these of, of this grant, particularly the SRD. Let's talk about that briefly before we get into um, what the status of administering that grant is right now. Thanks so much, Kathy. And yes, at SASA, we we really mindful of the huge impact that this grant has had, particularly the social relief of of distress grant. Um, As the listeners would be aware, this grant was introduced in May of 2020 to really try and mitigate some of the very negative impacts of the pandemic and the measures taken to limit the spread. So the lockdown, people who previously relied on passing traffic to generate an income, um, they just were no longer able to do it. A lot of people who lost their jobs, and for that reason it was found that we needed to put something in place to provide income support, even of a short-term nature, to people who, who really were left without any kind of means to support themselves. Now, since it was introduced in 2020, up until now, we've seen an exponential increase in the number of applicants we've had. Um, And if I can just remind everybody, the people who qualify for this grant are people, are are South African citizens, are permanent residents, refugees, asylum seekers, and holders of special permits from Lesotho, Angola, and Zimbabwe. And... They they must be living in South Africa. They must not be receiving any financial support from any other source. So it really is to try and target people who are in distress who don't have financial support at all. And as at the 1st of February, we've already received applications of just over 15 million applicants. And of those about 10.5 million have been approved for payment. Now, if you think where we started in 2020, where we were sitting on about 2 million applications, you'll see over a very short period of time that the number of applications has increased unbelievably. Um, And it is, we do still continue receiving new applications, despite the fact that this grant has been in place for a while. Um, and, And so on a monthly basis, we are still receiving new applications even though the grant in its current form does come to an end at the end of March of this year. Mm. Diane, just repeat that uh, figure for me again. How many applications do you, did you say you had uh, received at the beginning of the month? We're currently sitting at 15.1 million applications that we've received for this grant. 15.1 million people and and you know is there any breakdown in terms of the demographics the age groups of of those who are applying we do have a breakdown in terms of age group um if this grant has a very young profile 
Um, and in fact, 60% of the applications for this grant are for people between the ages of 18 and 35, um, which is, is really high. And just again to remind everyone, the grant is available for people aged between 18 and 59. Once a person turns 60, then they can qualify to apply for the old age pension. So the 350 grant is not available to them. Of course, part of what it speaks to really is is the high levels of, of unemployment in the country. Because when you look at the, the age group of those that are applying for this grant between uh, 18 to 35 years of age, those would also be the demographic that falls under those most affected by, um, by, by the unemployment rate. Absolutely. Um, and it is, as I say, 60% of our applications are for, for people aged between 18 and 35. It's also really... Um, concerning, although it does give us a, a, a better picture of the profile of the applicants, to look at the educational level, which is something we also receive from the applicants when they apply. Mm. We're 8.6% um, 8 .8 of our applicants say that they have no schooling whatsoever. Um, and on the other end of the scale, 6.6% .6 of the applicants say they've got some tertiary education. Some have completed their tertiary education. Others started it and for various reasons didn't complete. But the, the biggest numbers are obviously those who've completed grade 10 at 36% and those who've completed grade 12 at just on 39%, which is extremely concerning. And again, as you say, talks to the unemployment picture in our country. Mm -hmm. uh, I want us to look at where we are in as far as the administration of this grant then is concerned. And, and let's talk about um, the payouts that we've had and if and where there are challenges with people who are yet to receive their grants. Thanks so much, Cathy. Um, as I said, of the 15 million applications we've received um, for the month of January, just on under 10.5 million were approved for payment. Now, if we look at the grant payments from when the grant was reintroduced in August of this year, for August we have paid just, there, there are a, a, an extremely small number, it's 39,000 out of the 9 million that were approved that have not been paid. And we see that trend across. So we've got 99% paid for all months. Um, in the people who've been approved for January, we've paid 90.5% of those who've been approved have been paid. The balance are in the process of being paid. Now, if I can just explain what leads to people maybe not being paid as regularly or as quickly as some others, when the applicants apply for this grant, we do ask for their bank details. Now, we do understand that a number of our applicants don't have their own personal bank. They may have had a bank account in the past that's been closed because they couldn't keep it going or for whatever reason. But where people don't have their own bank account, we need to go to the post office to go and open an account on their behalf. That process does take a little bit of time and it does lead to delays in the payment. Also, some of the applicants give us information of a bank account for their sibling or a parent or something. And unfortunately, we can't pay this grant into a bank account that belongs to anybody other than the, the approved beneficiary themselves. 
And in those cases, the account details will fail verification. Once they fail verification, if the beneficiary doesn't give us new information on their account, we then need to go to the post office and open an account for them. All of those add to the time it takes for us to be able to pay people. But we certainly have seen an improvement in the turnaround time for payments with this iteration of the grant that started from August. So, so as it stands, uh, Diane, you said that 90.5% of people have been paid, uh, which means that you're looking at about just over 9% of people that uh, are yet to receive uh, their, their payments. Their payment for January. Okay. Um, I think, yeah, if I can explain. And this grant, although it's introduced by government for a specific period, so it was introduced, reintroduced in August, and it will go through to the end of March of 2022. It is a grant that is considered and paid on a monthly basis. So if somebody is considered for the grant and approved in August, it does not necessarily mean that they will get for every single month thereafter right through to March because circumstances can change. They could perhaps get funding from NSFUS to go and complete studies. They could qualify for unemployment insurance benefits or they could be one of the few lucky people and and get employment and then no longer qualify for the grant. So we do the validations every single month for every single application. All 15 million go through the validations every single month, and then we can approve the people that need to be paid, and once that has been done, we're then able to extract the payments. So it's, you know, and, and also people may have a bank account that then gets closed from the previous month or something like that. So it, it does mean that the numbers fluctuate month on month. I want to take a call here from Deborah. Deborah, you're calling us from Soweto. Good morning. Good morning, Katie. Uh, my issue is related to the elderly persons grant. I'm phoning on my mother's behalf. Okay. Uh, she had a pension money stolen in March. Uh, I've raised this matter before on the on your platform, and I've also raised the matter with staff. So there was at one point in the parties that I was liaising with. Uh, okay, uh, moving fast forward, uh, December, at the beginning, we were told that the matter uh, investigations were finalized and that they would refund the money in February 2022. The money still hasn't been uh, refunded. And when you consider that this thing happened in March, I don't understand why it's taking so long. Taboro, can you just give us a bit more information in terms of what happens? Uh, what happened? I'm, I'm right, trying to remember the story, but nothing is coming yes, to mind. Yes, I did raise it. Uh, yeah. In fact, it's I think uh, the president didn't get my name correctly, but uh, never mind that. What happened is in March, uh, my mother was supposed to get her first uh, payment uh, for the elderly person's grant. And when she went there, uh, the, she was told that the money wasn't there to contact the following day. The following day, she was told that the money had been withdrawn in Pumalang, and she hasn't ever, ever in her life been to Pumalang. Uh, we brought the matter up with Sasa. Like I'm saying, there was a Mr. Pakis, who's one of, uh, I think, one of the original managers, if I'm not mistaken, who took up the matter and they investigated the matter by December. I think they uh, finalized everything. They were supposed to then refund the, the, the amount which was. Uh, 3,800 or so, because it supposed to be two payments he had applied uh, uh, before that. So she was supposed to get the money uh, in March 2021. So the investigations that I'm saying is, as far as we know, they've been finalized. The money is supposed to be refunded. It still hasn't been refunded. Mm. 
Diane? Thanks, Kathy, and thank you for that question. Um, I can respond in sort of general terms, but I would really like to request that if listeners do phone in with specifics, that the details be taken, and I'll certainly attend to it after this, this show. But in terms of the, the fraud, and it, it is something that we're aware of and we're really very concerned about it, what happens is that people who receive their grants using the SASA post office card, the yellow, you know, the gold card, um, in some instances we found that the card has been reissued to somebody other than the approved beneficiary. Now, the card management and the issuing and everything of cards happens in the post office environment because these are banking instruments. However, it affects our beneficiaries because then the person that has received the new card is able to go and access the money and the beneficiary then doesn't get the money. In all of these cases, we register a fraud case with the post office and we follow up to make sure that 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 money is reimbursed. It is supposed to be reimbursed within a three-month period, um, and, and there are some cases that do take slightly longer than that. But it really, I mean, we're now looking at, a, at nearly a year for this reimbursement to happen. So I would really, really appreciate to get those personal details so that I could follow up and make sure that the old lady who didn't receive her money in March actually does get reimbursed um, for that money that she's entitled to. Okay, so Deborah, what we'll do then is, is that uh, I'll just put you back through to Levo, and uh, he'll he'll take down your details, and we'll share those with with Diane. And, and Diane, you you talk about the fact that this is something that you know is is happening. Um, what what is the prevalence of it? I mean, do do you have any figures in terms of the number of cases that you're dealing with that involve the fraudulent issuing of of Sasa cards? Um, I don't have the exact numbers with me, but it is, look, as far as we're concerned, any one beneficiary that doesn't get their money is one too many, and it's just not acceptable. Um, These are people that rely on their grants and are entitled to it. So it is really our responsibility to make sure that they're able to get the grant they're entitled to. Um, All the fraud is reported to the post office, and it is investigated by the fraud unit and as I say, we have an agreement that they are reimbursed where the fraud is confirmed mm-hmm. that they are reimbursed within a three-month period. Um, and if there are exceptions to that, it is our responsibility to make sure that we do follow up. We've also been working very closely with the post office to try and close the gaps through which this can happen. And one of the things that has been put in place is to make sure that when a card is reissued, it is not issued unless the the beneficiary biometrics, so the fingerprints, have been confirmed so that the post office staff know that they're actually issuing the card to the right person and not just somebody who knows the details of another person who's receiving a grant and can get the card issued to them. So there are controls that the post office is really putting in place to Mm. try and prevent this happening. But it, it, it certainly has been a challenge. So, so, so just, to, just so that I understand you uh, correctly, Diane, if a card is reissued, let's say mm-hmm. a card is reissued in Kathy's name, yes. would Kathy have to be the one going into the post office to collect that card? Or is somebody else able to present themselves saying they are Kathy 
and take that card without any measure being in place to, in fact, verify if it has ended up in the correct hands? Kathy, the the process that has to be followed is if a beneficiary loses their card or they, you know, it it gets stolen or whatever, they then report in person to the post office with the ID book and with an affidavit to say what has happened to the original card. Once they go to the post office with those documents, the post office is then supposed to confirm the identity of the person in front of them through the fingerprints so that you've got the ID document, you've got the fingerprints, you've got the, um, often they'll ask for a letter from SASA to confirm that the person is in fact the beneficiary. So they have all those papers, you know, pieces of paper to confirm that I'm issuing the card to the right person. Now that is the process that is supposed to be followed. Obviously, if people want to circumvent it and, and work in collusion with others to make sure, you know, they know they're issuing the card to the wrong person then it is an absolute violation of the approved processes. And in those cases, the card is issued to somebody other than the beneficiary. All right. Okay. Thanks for that clarity. Diane Dunkerley is the Executive Manager, Grants Administration at SASA. We'll continue the conversation with her shortly. It's 11.30. Nomsa has your headlines. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation on The Talking Point and we're in a conversation this morning with Sasa. We're talking about the administration of various grants, but more specifically, the social relief of distress grant and where we are with the payment of that particular grant. Uh, Diane, just on this issue of money being stolen uh, from people's Sasa cards, uh, there is one listener here, Anonymous, who's talking about how they had 4,000 rand stolen from uh, their card, but that money was only reimbursed after 18 months. So they're highlighting, um, you know, just how long it took to get the reimbursement done. What leads to the delay in this process that that you may have identified from your end, Asasa? Thanks so much. Um, There are a number of different reasons that, that really delay it. Um, firstly, when somebody's card has been used fraudulently and money has been taken from them, they're required to complete an affidavit that sets out specifically how much has been taken and when it was taken. Often we find that that affidavit that is submitted is not completed in full, that somebody will just say, my grant for January and February was taken without giving an amount. And you find that when the amounts are withdrawn, they're not necessarily the full grant amount that is withdrawn. So the affidavit has to be very specific on the actual amount that was taken. In addition, the affidavit has got to be accompanied with a certified copy of the ID of the person whose card that is, as well as both sides of the card that is still in the beneficiary's possession if they still have it, if it hasn't been stolen or lost. Um, And these things are really important so that the post office can follow up and identify where the problem originates so that they can put control measures in place to try and deal with it. Where these documents are not submitted or they are not submitted in full or the information that is provided on the affidavit doesn't agree with the statement for that particular account, 
that is what causes delays because then there's a back and forth between the post office and the beneficiary to try and get the correct information before they can even look at the reimbursement. There, um, we've also agreed with the post office that what they have to do is to do an initial investigation to confirm that it was, in fact, somebody other than the beneficiary that drew the money. And they can see that because they can see whether it was withdrawn using a card with a different number from what is in the beneficiary's possession, or if it was, you know, your beneficiary normally looks, you can look at the statement and see that this person draws in Johannesburg at a, within a particular area every single month, and suddenly you've got a withdrawal that takes place down in Stanger in KwaZulu-Natal. So they look for those kind of abnormalities, and if on that initial investigation they confirm there has been fraud, then they will reimburse. However, we do find there are cases where the initial investigation is not as, as easily or as, as clear as that is, and then a lot more questions need to be asked. But we've also agreed with the post office that even where they do the initial investigation and they find that there is fraud and they reimburse the client, they need to continue with a more in-depth investigation and make sure that there are criminal charges laid if they can find out who is doing this, you know, whether it is staff or whether it is people outside of the post office, because we really just are extremely concerned that there are people who will prey on our older, uh, older citizens um, and people whose grant is the only income that they have. So there's got to be a longer investigation and criminal action that is taken where these things can be proven. Diane, I've got a question here asking about the issue of appeals and um, you know yeah. where the appeals stage of, 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 of this process is. And if you can just give us a, an update on that, please. Thank you so much. Um, the biggest challenge that we have with the 350 relief grant at the moment is dealing with reconsiderations. Now, if we look at the process that is followed, everybody has the right to apply. We then will exercise the, you know, or implement the process that we have to, which includes the validations against the various databases that we have access to. If somebody's ID is found on one of those databases, and that includes, for example, the Unemployment Insurance Benefit Database, the, um, the, we also look at, at the revenue services, we look at NSFOS, um, Purcell, there, there are a number of them that we look at. If anybody's ID is found on one of those databases, then the application is declined. However, we know that the databases we have access to, despite the fact that we get a refreshed database from each of these organizations every month, there could be information there which is not current. And in those cases, we say to people, if your application has been declined and you know you don't have financial support from anywhere else, please put in a request for reconsideration. When we deal with the reconsiderations, we need to go to the banks and go and means test um, every application. So if somebody has a bank account, we would look at that, or the bank looks at the account for us, and they say to us, this person has an inflow into their account of more than the threshold, and the threshold is currently 595 rand a month. So if somebody has an inflow into their account of more than 595, then the banks will come back to us and tell us that, and the application would be declined on reconsideration. Now, that's a long answer to get back to your question around reconsiderations. 
since the grant was introduced in August, we've not been able to deal with any of the reconsiderations yet because we're still finalizing those contracts with the banks. For the first round of the grant, we had contracts in place with the banks. Unfortunately, those contracts came to an end at the end of July, and we then needed to start a whole procurement process from the beginning to be able to contract with the banks. I'm really pleased to be able to say we were at last at the end of that incredibly lengthy process, so we should be able to start with the reconsideration fairly soon. Um, and I also just really want to reassure all the listeners, those who have applied for reconsideration, it will be considered for each month that they've requested reconsideration, even though we're starting with it really late. And the other thing that I'd really just like to stress on reconsiderations is that even if the reason for the decline stays the same for each month, each month that the application is declined requires that applicant to request reconsideration. Because this is a grant that is dealt with on a month-by-month -month basis, even the reconsiderations need to be dealt with on a month-to-month -month basis. Um, and so if they don't, if, if the applicant whose application has been declined does not ask for reconsideration, then we're not going to reconsider that decline for that specific month. So really, really important that that request for reconsideration be put in for each month, even though we are delayed in, in dealing with the reconsiderations right from August already. Mm. So, so just so that there's clarity, Diane, currently none of those who have put in uh, an application to appeal the decision for, for not gr being granted the grant, none of those appeals have been considered yet. None of them have been considered, but all of them will be considered, even if it goes beyond the end of March for us to finish all the months. It will be considered, and if people are approved on reconsideration, they will still be paid their money. So nobody will forfeit the money that they're entitled to. Yeah, and, and how, many, how many cases do you have sitting for appeal right now? We have a, a significant number, um, and the numbers, again, vary month on month. Um, sorry, if I could just quickly find my numbers here. We started off with the, um, the reconsiderations. There we go. For August, we have 984,000. It went down in September. We've got 711,000. For October, we've got 570,000. November is 416,000, and December we've got 288,000. The appeal window for January's declines is still open, so those numbers are not yet complete. But, yeah, so there, there are significant numbers. If you look in total, we're looking at about two, very nearly 3 million grants that we need to reconsider, not 3 million applicants because somebody could have appealed for each one of those months. Sure. But it's, it's in that, that sort of ballpark that we're looking at. Yeah, that, that is very, very concerning, Diane. Mm -hmm. We're going to continue the conversation, and of course we'll also take some calls. I see uh, a number of you lined up on the talking point. We're in conversation with Sasa.
We continue the conversation on the talking point and we're talking to Diane Dunkley, who is the Executive Manager Grants Administration at SASA. And she's been highlighting just different issues that uh, SASA is trying to work through. Yeah, Diane, you know, I'm thinking about the issue of the appeals and, and it really doesn't sound reasonable to me that number one, these appeals have not yet been considered, and number two, that it's taken so long. I mean, if you applied in August, you've been waiting now for about four or five months. It, that is absolutely correct, and, it, and we really do apologize for those delays. Um, a number of reasons contributed to it, and unfortunately we're not able to deal with any of the reconsiderations until we're in a position to do the means test because otherwise we would just be reconsidering the grants against the same information that led us to decline the application in the first place. So it is important that we get that the means test in place, and we would then be in a position to be able to deal with all of the reconsiderations. Let me take some of our callers then this morning. Tapelo, good morning. You're calling us from Zanin. Yes, good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Tapelo. Yes, um, my my issue is uh, with regards to reconsideration. I my application was always been have always been rejected, you know, and the reason is UIF registered and I've never registered for UIF from from last year August until this far and it just goes on and on even when I apply for reconsideration. I don't get any res- any positive res- response. I mean, yeah, and that is my issue. So, so I just want to know in terms of uh, when they are going to reconsider, you know, to, to look at the issue of reconsideration. Diane? Thanks, Kathy. Thanks, Tabela. Okay. Um, yeah, as I explained, we're, we're getting to the end of the, con- of the contracting with the banks. So we're really hoping that we would be able to start with the reconsideration still in the month of February, and we would certainly start with the oldest ones first. So we will start with the month of August and then progressively move forward until we are dealing with the current month. Mm. Tapala, just before I give you a chance to follow up, Diane, when you talk about the contracts with the bank, what contracts are these? Okay, these are contracts. Um, There are a number of services that the banks provide for the 350 grant. The first is, is that they will provide a cash send option for people that don't have accounts. Now, that option has not been activated for this round of the grant yet because the contracts were not in place. You know, this is where we can send the money to a mobile phone and somebody can go and cash it out at an ATM and then use the cash. Now, that is part of the contracts that we've got to sign with the banks for them to be able to provide that cash send facility. And then the other services that they provide that need to be done under contract because it has to do with data protection um, and and sharing information and so on is around the means testing. And this is where they would look at the IDs of the applicants that we provide to them and identify whether those applicants have bank accounts with them and if so, whether there is an inflow into that bank account remembering that it is our responsibility to make sure that the money goes to people who really do deserve it and not people who have financial support from other sources.
My, my understanding is that the option of, of cash send, Diane, had been done away with uh, simply because it's taken forever for these contracts to be renegotiated and that those who had applied and had chosen the cash send option needed to reapply and pick another option or, or method of payment. Kathy, you're absolutely right. We, did, we didn't ask the applicants who had chosen cash send to reapply but we asked them to give us bank details if they had a bank account so that we could pay into their bank account. And those that didn't have bank accounts, we then opened accounts for them in the post office so that at least they could be paid and were not waiting for such a long time before we could get the money to them. Um, so at least for the cash send, there was a temporary workaround. We're still wanting to bring the cash send in as an option because there are people for whom mobile payments would be a lot more convenient. So, what, again, once the contracts with the banks are signed, that will be an option. And people who then have chosen cash send initially will be asked whether they want to go back to the cash send or whether they want to stay with the bank account or the post office account that they have. Mm. All right. Uh, Sorry, I thought I'd lost you there. Okay. Um, so it, it it will come back as an option as soon as the, the bank accounts have been signed, but it, there hasn't been a delay in payment because of the non-availability of the cash set. All right. All right. Thanks for that, Diane. Uh, Tapala, I hope it answers, uh, you know, your questions in as far as the appeals and, and why it's taking so long for uh, the appeals to be heard. Shadrach, you're calling us from uh, Fixburg. Good morning. Good morning, Kathy. How are you, ma'am? I'm all right, Ndata Go for it. I'm good. No, I, 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 just, I just want to put my question. Uh, I'm asking, I've got a son who, is, uh, who, who, who has applied for, for the grant. Uh, yet it, uh, he gets, and we have received, we have received uh, the message from, from post office that the application is active. But he says that when he goes to post office, he was told he, he should only come on on the 14th of of, of this month. So I, I just would like to know: uh, Are they going to pay him the money from that is the money that he has been not paid? For the, I don't know. For so, so basically from August, Shadrach, you want to know if they're going to pay him money so from August or are they just going to pay him for, yes, for one from month? August, you're right. Yeah, yeah. All right, Diane? Kathy, it, it depends. And again, I would need to look at that ID specifically and be able to give, an, give information on that specific case. If there is somebody who has been approved and has not collected their money, when they do go to the post office, if they're being paid through the post office, they should get all the money at the same time. However, it, I also just want to say that the post office does schedule the clients according to the last three digits of their ID number just so that they can manage the queues. What we don't want is the same kind of scene that we saw last year where the queues at the post offices literally go around the block. So the... Um, post office does schedule people according to the last three digits, is why I'm, I'm guessing that for Ntati Shadrach's son, he's been told to go back on the 14th. Um, that would be when his ID number is being paid. 
But if he has not collected all his money, they should pay him everything that is available in his account at the time that he goes to the post office. Mm. Dr. Shedrug, does that answer your question? I, I, I do have the ID numbers. Can, can, can you take them? All right. Yes, we can. Uh, I'm going to put you back to level. Level will take those ID numbers and we'll just send this information uh, collectively to Diane and, and they'll be able to follow up. Okay. Let me go to Pretoria. Desmond, good morning. Hi, Jesse. Mm. I needed to find out from Diane, you know, with regard to the issue of reinvestment, I see she the only speak of, of when there is fraud. But then I think Victoria was a trend to rob these old people when I come in from the pinpoint. Because my mom was a victim of such a robbery. And we did report the matter. Though the staff at the SASA and post office were quite helpful at senior management level to assist us. But when it came the issue of investment, there was no clear commitment from the side that they, they would do that. Uh, so, so Desmond, you're talking about a different type of robbery. So as in uh, your mother went to withdraw the money, she had it on her physically, and then she was yeah. robbed of that money. No, no. She was she was accosted into a motor vehicle. She was she was traveling with another woman as well. They were mm-hmm. accosted into a vehicle, and they were told that they were transporting this, this, these ladies. They were transporting all people who were struggling, mm-hmm. moving from, from the pay points. And then they forced them to go to to withdraw the money. Yeah. So in spite of there being a solid police case, I mean, my my point is this issue of investment. There was mm. again fraud in relation to that. I see Diane is quite clear on the issue of fraud that there definitely be investment. But then when there is robbery, because my 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 concern is there's a trend, you see. So there may be more. Being subjected to such yeah, and we certainly and and we certainly have have heard of 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 elderly people that are targeted, you know, at some of these pay points. Diane, yeah. it it really is. It just saddens me incredibly when I hear stories like this. Um, there the also has to be a very clear distinction between what SASA can be responsible for and what is absolute criminal activity that the police need to investigate. If somebody's grant is stolen, um, like I said, if there's been a fraudulent transaction where the card has been reissued to somebody or there's been a PIN that has been reset to somebody unknown to the beneficiary, those kinds of things, definitely in those cases we need to make sure that there is reimbursement. But where there is robbery as a result of an absolute criminal action, you know, you've been mugged and your money has been stolen or something like that. That is a criminal problem and it needs to be reported to the police services. And unfortunately, in those cases, SASA will not reimburse the clients. Um, we, we would try and help as much as we can to get the, the make sure that it is reported to the police services and so on. But unfortunately, in those cases, we're not able to reimburse the money that's been stolen. And so, basically, Diane, the, for somebody like Desmond's mother, there's there's no recourse outside of the police finding these suspects and getting the money back effectively. Unfortunately, um, yeah, they they just it, it it's an incredibly difficult situation. But it is not 
as a result of any flaw in the SASA system. It is unfortunately just absolute criminal activity. Mm. Okay, Desmond. Yeah, it's a Peter P. Though, but then the reason I'm, I, I, I'm mentioning this point, it's, it's a growing trend, and in my view, both robbery and fraud are both uh, criminal. You see. Those people are quite vulnerable, and when somebody offers them, say, and used to say, yeah, give me your hope, it's a growing trend in Pretoria, and this, these facts are moving from playpoint to playpoint. Mm. So you're still going to come across this. They force you, they take your cards, ask for your pin, go inside the shop, and install your money. So in my view, they are, they are equally criminal exposed to and then they need to have a look at that yeah. in All future. Right. All right, Desmond, thanks for calling in and, and really okay, sorry to hear it. about what, what happened to uh, your mother there and, and her friend. Good. Yeah. All right, let's go to Kronstadt. Munna Silo, good morning. Yes, good morning, Kathy. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Kathy, let me be quick about this. Mm. I've actually sent you an email, but I think you won't be able to read it. But this is the, this is the position. Uh, an email, email has been written to Udade Mapuch who never responded until I sent an email to the president. And uh, Robert Ngubane, the presidency, uh, sent an email to Gianna Duncan Lee, requesting, he said, I'm quoting it, DM Pooch, please, will you assist this client to lodge an appeal and advise him accordingly? Mpuchi comes back and says to, 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 to me now, be, uh, kindly be advised that the request for the reconsideration has been lodged on behalf of Mr. Mukwena. You will, you will be able to view recommendations outcome from the SASA website. Right. Uh, we have done that since last year, uh, September, October, November, mm. December, January. They always allude to UIF. Now, what boggles my mind is these people are working on a mainframe that is government to government. How did they get it wrong? We wrote to them and told them this man is not registered, is not receiving any money from the uh, from from the UIF. I even had to give him 50 rands to go and open an account so that he can he can send me his account as well. All those emails are there with those people. But now I'm listening to Diana. Uh, it's economical with the truth here. It's economical. They are actually not, as every time people have been complaining, they appear on SS uh, getting money from UIF, and which is not like that. Why cannot they uh, interrogate uh, the Department of Labor? Mm-hmm. Why do they have people on, on, their, on their database who are not receiving UIF? Okay. All right. Let me give, no, Di- let me give Diana an opportunity to respond. Munasilo, um, Diane? Thanks, Kathy. Um, and I really do appreciate and understand the frustration. As I explained, we are dependent on information that is provided to us from other government departments, UIF being one of them. I think it's also important to understand that the qualifying criteria for this grant is that somebody would not qualify for the 350 grant if they are receiving a benefit from the Unemployment Insurance Fund or if they would qualify to receive a benefit. So if somebody was to lose their job, if they would qualify to get the benefit, then they're not going to qualify for the 350 grant. We do get that information, and we get refreshed information on a monthly basis from the Unemployment Insurance Fund. 
um, and that is the information we need to use. I think your listeners would appreciate that the 350 grant is dealt with entirely through systems. Um, we don't deal with documents for it at all. We deal, we administer the 350 grant in addition to all the other social grants that we do manage. Um, and if we were to deal with any kind of documentary evidence, we just do not have the resources to be able to deal with it. You can understand we have about 18 million other social grants that we administer, and then we have got these extra 15 million applications which need to be validated every single month. Now, just the resources to be able to do that, if we were to do it manually, is just not, it's not feasible. So we do rely on the information that we get from the other departments. And because of the fact that it's not our information and we accept that there could be information that is not current, it could be, you know, from previous year or something like that, that is why the reconsideration has been put in place. And I understand the frustration with the delay in dealing with the reconsiderations, which is really our focus area at the moment. Um, we've got to be able to start processing those reconsiderations and giving people the outcome um, when they've been waiting for the four and five months that they've already been waiting. All right. I want to quickly take uh, Tamsanga, who's also calling us from Cape Town. Of course, we're quickly running out of time. Tamsanga, if you can please keep it brief for me. Okay, thank you so much. Um, one of my questions I had was, regards, was with regards to whether um, for someone who applied last year in August, will they, when, whenever now they get their amount, will they actually get reimbursed for all those months? However, I remember, I recall that um, um, the sister did say that I think people will get reimbursed for all of those months. Mm-hmm. However, now, one of my other questions now is with regards to um, my problem, and, and that is, when I applied, I applied online using the, SASA, using the SASA website. And now since then, I've lost the cell phone number that I used to apply. And I'm unable to check my my status. Hence, I have an excuse. Uh, uh, unable to check my status. And the reason I wanted to check my, my application status is because um, I haven't received any of the, money, uh, any of the, 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 the 250 since. Um, I applied last year, August, September, mm. um, and I can't, when I go to the SASA website, they need my, the number I used to apply in order to give me some code and, and then grant me, I guess, my... I the, see. My, so the verification code goes to your old number. Yes. Yeah, so, so what do I do then in that situation? Okay. All right, Tamsanka. Let me quickly give Diane an opportunity to answer. Diane, if you can try and respond to that in 30 seconds for me, please. Will do. Thanks, Kathy. Very important, um, if I can ask that we get an email with the old cell phone number and the new cell phone number, we can get it updated on our, our system, um, and then the new number would be the reference that they're able to check the status. So send an email through. Emails can also be sent to inquiries at sasa.gov.za, and the cell phone number will be changed. All right. Let me thank you for All your right, time today. Thank you, thank you, Tamsanga, and thank you to Diane, too, for also being part of this conversation. That's where we leave it on the talking point for this Monday morning. Up next, the update at noon with Sakina Kamwendo.